0: Alright, well good morning everyone. Glad to see you here this morning. Glad to be together with you this morning. Um, if you maybe happen to be a guest with us and you might not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And I get, a ch- I get the chance to preach about once a month. Um, for those of you who are more a part of us and are around, you know that. Um, and actually, I had that chance last week. I, I was here in the pulpit last week, got a chance to preach um, so I didn't expect to be up here again today, but I think many of you know uh, Pastor Brett. Sadly, his dad passed away last week, so uh, Pastor Brett is down uh, with his family or parts of his family in Phoenix uh, for the funeral and to be with family there. So, uh, so I get to be back with you again this morning, and I'm glad to be here. And so for today, um, I would simply like to basically just continue on with you a bit from where we started last Sunday. Okay, so the, the sermon last week, uh, in case you weren't here, or just to jog your memory a little bit, last week I simply uh, probed with you just one verse. We just scratched mostly at one verse, Matthew 4.4. 4. Uh, Matthew 4.4 4 says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so today, I just want to keep... Uh, Touching off of that verse, some here, just mention a few uh, additional thoughts, a few more things to say uh, related to that verse and related to its context. Now, last Sunday, I pointed out that what Jesus meant when he, uh, when he spoke those words ultimately was to say that we do not live by bread alone, by physical bread alone, but we live by Him. We live by Jesus Himself. So, Jesus says in John 6, verse 35, John six thirty five. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so we will, we will only find deep, true, soul-flourishing, soul-satisfying life, in fact, eternal life, if we eat Jesus, so to speak. Uh, meaning that we believe in him, that we believe in his mission, that we believe that he went to the cross and died in our place, that we believe that because of that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we believe that because of that we can right now enjoy the favor of God and believe that because of that we can enjoy forever with God and his people um, at some point in the future. Believe that. Believe that, and you will be eating Jesus, so to speak. And I think for us, uh, if we are going to be the most uh, deeply nourished, the most deeply sustained in uh, what we say around here, life together on mission, life together on mission, if we will be the most deeply sustained for that, then we not only need to uh, eat the Bible, so to speak, in general, but. We need more specifically to eat Jesus. Again, remembering who Jesus is, remembering what he has done for us who trust in him, remembering what that means for us in terms of the comfort that it provides, and then also in terms of the call that that places on our lives. So, eat Jesus, feed each other Jesus. That was sort of the main point, that was the, the unified theme of uh, last week's message. So now today, um, I don't really have actually a single unified theme uh, for this message, actually. Really, I just want to sort of give some additional thoughts, sort of some bullet point observations, uh, thoughts, uh, and some related application. Again, just jumping off of that one verse, Matthew 4, 4, uh, and also its context, okay? So um, let's get into that. We can uh, read from Matthew 4. If you have your Bibles with you, please Go ahead and open up to Matthew 4. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can please raise your hand and one of our ushers will make sure you get one. So we'll read uh, beginning in, in uh, verse 1 of Matthew 4, but we, uh, let's, let's pray uh, before we do that again. So Lord, thank you for the chance that we have to be together again this morning, and I would pray that you'd help us, and I pray that you would use this message to to in some way, shape, or form help us along in you being the very center of our lives, in you being the place where we fix our eyes. In, you'd help us along in being comforted this morning in the ways that we need that, and you would help us also to be challenged in the ways that we need that. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 4, verse 1. So Jesus has just been baptized. And then verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. All right, well, again, today, just jumping off from that scene there and, and uh, uh, just a few bullet points observations here, uh, bullet point thoughts, some related applications. So first of all, first bullet point, and you could call this bullet point simply fasting, fasting. Uh, in Matthew 4, 4, it was after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days that the devil hit him with this attack, with this temptation. And in light of that, uh, my point here really is just to say a few things about fasting. I thought I'd jump off of that And just say a few things about fasting. If you have been with us um, for the last several months, you know that we've sort of been pressing the spiritual discipline of prayer. Um, Well, very often, if you uh, look through the Bible, you will see very often prayer going together with fasting. Prayer and fasting very often go together. So, for example, in Acts 13, uh, we see the Apostle Paul... And Barnabas in Acts 13, they are, they're going to be sent out on mission. In Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, it says this. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this was the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart uh, for me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them out. Uh, Or in Acts 14, you see Paul and Barnabas again, and there they've appointed elders in the churches. And in in, in, uh, Acts 14, verse 23, it says there that when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, Nehemiah 1. Pastor Brett's been taking us through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 when Nehemiah heard that the the wall of Jerusalem was broken down, uh, he says this, he says, as soon as I heard these things, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Last example, Ezra uh, chapter 8. Ezra 8 verse 21 and also verse 23. Um, There It says, Then I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and for our children and all of our goods. And so we fasted and we implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. Okay, so just uh, some examples there to show that very often uh, in the Bible, prayer and fasting are uh, linked together. And there are various reasons, lots of reasons actually, uh, as you would comb the scriptures to see why people might fast. Um, some examples here might be because of bereavement uh, for some some reason, or for penitence you might fast. If one is in distress for some reason, if somebody is seeking God's intervention for something, they might fast. Uh, you can see examples of people fasting uh, in order to... Uh, sort of get guidance from God with some sort of decision that needs to be made. Sometimes people fast in the scriptures just to sort of show a measure of earnestness in their prayer or, or to show a measure of earnestness in, in some, something that they may have committed to. Okay, so various reasons why people might fast uh, throughout the Bible. And uh, now God does not require that we fast, I would not say that. God does not require that we take up this discipline of fasting. But I do think that it's pretty helpful. I think fasting is very helpful, especially as it relates to our, our prayer life. And I would most certainly recommend it and commend it to you, that you would fast from time to time. Let me just mention a few reasons why I think uh, fasting is helpful. Uh, number one, I would say that fasting helps to remind us to pray and then as a result we actually do pray more often. We pray more regularly. We we pray more constantly. Um, It reminds us to pray and then therefore we pray actually more regularly. So just using myself as an example here uh, for a minute. With me personally, uh, I happen to be, uh, I mean, seasons come, seasons go, I happen to be in a season right now where I am fasting fairly regularly. I fast about Uh, Well, I do fast once a week here in this particular season. Sometimes it's for a full 24 hours. Sometimes it's not. uh, At this particular season, more often it's not a full 24 hours. Um, Fasting for me in this season looks like uh, waking up in the morning and I'll I'll eat uh, just something small, fairly small for breakfast, and then I'll just choose not to eat again until dinner time. Or occasionally I might push that to when the kids go to bed, like maybe 8 o'clock or so. Okay? Okay. Uh, Might take other forms than that too, uh, but that's often the form that it takes for me. Uh, Really, we have no absolutely prescribed form of fasting that's given to us in the Scriptures. So, however you might do it, um, however I might do it, one of the reasons why I think it's helpful and why it has been helpful to me is simply to be reminded to pray. Just to be reminded uh, to pray. It helps me... To remember that, and then again, I actually do as a result uh, pray more constantly. So, for me, when I'm fasting, usually begin the day with, with a, sort of an extended time of prayer and, and time uh, reading the Bible, very mindful that, okay, Lord, I'm moving into a day here where I am going to be fasting. And then as I move throughout the day, I get hungry. I get hungry. I want to eat something, and I get hungry, and I remember, oh, yeah, I'm fasting pray. Let's pray. Um, and so uh, I would pray then whatever, uh, for whatever I might be focusing on in that particular day or maybe in a particular season. Usually for me what that means is I'm, I'm, I'm usually praying for somebody uh, and that's why I'm fasting. Or maybe I'm asking the Lord for wisdom in a particular uh, situation. Uh, that, that would be a, a major reason why I give myself to fasting. But I get hungry, of course, and I remember then to pray. And so just right there in that moment, uh, I'll stop and I'll just pray just in my mind. Just in my mind. It could take a minute. If I happen to be alone, well, then I'll pray out loud. And I'll just sort of quiet myself, put things aside, focus, and just pray. Two to three minutes, nothing uh, super long. But if I have opportunity... Uh, then for a longer season of prayer during a day, which I do when I'm fasting because I'm not typically eating lunch. So then I would take that time and I would uh, set aside more time to pray uh, during that longer time. I think about driving as well. Uh, when I'm fasting and, uh, I, and I'm driving, uh, my driving time looks a little bit differently. And so I, you know, get it, you you're just moving around, doing different things. You get in the car Mind kind of relaxes and you realize, I'm hungry. You know, this, your mind relaxes and you can feel that and you say, okay, pray. And so my time spent in the car is much more uh, productive prayer-wise when I'm fasting. So I would just recommend that you do occasionally give yourself to fasting. It, 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 it's just a, a simple, I think, means of grace that God gives us to remind us to pray and therefore pray more regularly, which we are called to do. Um, Romans 12.12 says to be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And I think fasting helps us to be more regular, to be more constant in prayer throughout the day. Not just once maybe in the morning or once at night, but throughout the day. It can help us to do that. So I would certainly recommend that you uh, give yourself to that. Secondly, a second reason why I think fasting is helpful. Um, Fasting reminds us that we are more than just flesh and blood. Fasting reminds us that we need more than just physical food to feed physical bodies. Fasting helps us to pray more constantly, but it also help us, helps us to focus our prayers uh, more on, uh, on uh, maybe spiritual priorities and less on mere physical things. So just like Jesus here uh, said in Matthew 4-4 that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, I think Jesus is, is showcasing there the reality that we are not merely physical beings. Right? We are, we are body and soul, or spirit. We are, we are outward, physical being, and we are inward, spiritual being. Or outward, uh, outer person and inner person. And just like our bodies need food, well, even more than that, our spirit needs food. And there's just something about the, the physical need that... That fasting creates, that, that, that sense of need for, uh, for, for nourishment, for food physically. And frankly, the pain that that, uh, that that need produces, the pain of experiencing that hunger. There's something about that that God will often use to heighten our awareness of our spiritual uh, needs, our deeper spiritual needs and spiritual priorities. Psalm 119 says this, Psalm 119 verse 71 it says, it is good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me that I was afflicted, he says, so that I might learn your statutes. Now, affliction in and of itself, I would not say is good, but there can be good benefits to affliction. And I think that's what the writer is saying here. It's good that I was afflicted because of the benefits that that affliction uh, produced. Like learning better to follow God's statutes, learning better to understand and follow God's ways, or like gaining a a greater awareness of our spiritual uh, priorities. So we should note, actually, on on that note that at several points uh, in the Bible when it speaks about fasting, that fasting is actually connected with the idea of affliction. It was an affliction. It was an affliction of sorts to choose to go without food or sometimes water. And so Psalm 35, for example, Psalm 35, verse 13, David says, I afflicted myself with fasting. I afflicted myself. I did this to myself. I brought affliction on myself with fasting. Um, or with regard to the Day of Atonement. Moses uh, Instructed God's people uh, with various things related to the Day of Atonement. And one of the things he said is that you must afflict yourselves. Afflict yourselves. And uh, in that case there, that affliction was referring specifically to fasting. So fasting can be painful. Fasting can hurt. Uh, it's actually, I think, meant to hurt just a little bit. That pain gets our attention. Uh, they're, they're, it's just no fun to go without food, but uh, there is something about affliction, uh, something about it that God often does use to help us to sort of dislodge ourselves from the the less important physical things and physical priorities and sort of swing us and and get us oriented toward and and, uh, uh, create a, a greater hunger for deeper spiritual things, spiritual priorities, even a deeper hunger for God himself. Actually, John Piper, you might be familiar with this book. He wrote a book on fasting uh, called Hunger for God. Um, I would recommend it. The first time I ever fasted uh, with any seriousness, I, I, read, I, would take, I took that book and I just read that book while I was fasting for a few days. It was a very good experience and I would encourage it. But a really good book. I'd recommend it. And uh, So it's called Hunger for God. And there really is... Something about fasting from physical food that sort of stirs in us this hunger for God himself, this hunger uh, to see our our, our souls fed with uh, spiritual food. So to to feed on God's word, uh, a hunger is stirred up to feed on God's word to us in the Bible, ultimately to feed on Jesus himself. Fasting helps us to, to, to know that, yeah, It's true. We cannot live on bread alone. We must have the Word of God, and ultimately, we must have Jesus. It helps us to know it's true. I'm more than mere physical body that wants to live right here and right now, but I am soul that wants to live forever, and I must have Jesus for that. And fasting helps to remind us and stir up that hunger. And so that would be a, a second help that fasting gives. It calls our attention to the fact that we are not just physical, but we are physical and spiritual. And then it heightens our awareness of our spiritual need, uh, gets us moving towards spiritual priorities. It heightens our desire for God himself. And so again, I would, I would encourage you to take it up um, at least occasionally. Um, you know, one example, uh, when I was with uh, Bethlehem, Uh, prior to coming to Christ Redeemer, uh, we had a practice over there. We called it the First Tuesday Fast. So just the first Tuesday of every month, uh, people committed to to skipping lunch and coming together and and praying. So you could do something like that. Pick a day in the month and say, hey, the first Tuesday of every every month, I'm going to fast over lunch, whatever it might be, but I would commend it to you. All right, fasting. That was the first bullet point. Second bullet point here, Uh, And you could call this one HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT. And I'll explain uh, what I mean by that here in a minute. And this has to do with the fact that Jesus would have been extremely weak here at this point in Matthew 4.4. He would have been extremely weak at this point when the devil hit him with temptation. I mentioned last week that medical people will tell us that A person can survive without food maybe 30 to 40 days. Um, Starvation, symptoms start to kick in around 35 to 40 days. Uh, Death can occur at 45 days. So Jesus was here at 40 days of fasting. So he was in a tough spot. He He would have been extremely weak at this point. And so he would have been at his most susceptible moments to cave into temptation. And it's precisely at that weakest of points that the devil hit him, that the devil confronted him and attacked Jesus. And I bring that up today to to simply say, beware. Beware. As the devil did to Jesus, it would not be strange for him to do to us as well. It would not be strange for the devil to hit us as well when we are at our weakest moments, when we are most susceptible to... To fail, when we are most susceptible to give in to the various uh, uh, kinds of temptations and fall into sin. And so um, what might be some of those moments? Well, that's where this HALT uh, comes into play. HALT is, a, is an acronym, H-A-L-T, stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. I would say these are at least four occasions when we may be especially prone to, to fall against temptation and to fall into sin. Again, when we are hungry, when we are angry, when we are lonely, and when we are tired. So know your enemy. Know your enemy. It is, it's likely that it's in those moments of hunger, of anger, of loneliness, of fatigue. It's likely in those moments that the devil will hit you. He will choose those moments to attack the, your, your and try to stir up your sinful nature. And so those are times that we have to be especially aware. And we've got to be, uh, be on guard, have our guard up. And we can get our guard up in those moments when we remember what Jesus said here, that in fact, man does not live. We cannot live on physical bread alone, but by the Word of God. And so in those weaker moments, we need to feed on God's Word, feed on God's commands, feed on His promises, especially feed on those promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Those promises are what some would call the comfort of the gospel, The comfort of the gospel. This is the truth about what Jesus did for you and the truth about who he's made you to be and the truth about what he promises for his people. The comfort of the gospel. Remember those promises. And then in your weaker moments, draw on that comfort to be compelled uh, out to take up the call of the gospel. There's a comfort of the gospel and there is a call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is the truth about what Jesus calls you to, what he asks of you, what he commands of you to follow him, to obey him, to be holy as God is holy, what Jesus commands us to do. And the way it works is that it's the comfort of the gospel that compels us to hold fast to the call of the gospel. It's the comfort of the gospel that will most compel you to obey Jesus and not fall before the devil's scheming. The comfort of the gospel. So let that comfort of the gospel and the call of the gospel together compel you to reject evil and, 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 and embrace what is good. To say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. To say no to the various lies that the devil might be peddling and to say yes to the truth of God, to say yes to what God says is best for you. The devil will stir up your sinful nature and he'll get you thinking that this is good for you. And it's not. Follow the call, follow the comfort of what God says is best for you. So if you're, so if you're hungry, or you're angry, or you're lonely, or you're tired, in these moments, all of us, uh, very often we are going to be at our most susceptible state of mind to, to Um, give in to things that we ought to be resisting. So if you are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or if you know that you're going to be stepping into a situation where you will be in those uh, circumstances, a few things that you can do, not an exhaustive list of action steps here at all, but a few things that you could do. Number one, try to avoid those situations. Okay? If you know that you're stepping into those things, try to avoid them. But number two, if you can't avoid those situations, then, then proactively pray. Maybe even fast and pray. Do that ahead of time uh, so, that, so that you can, you can um, get the Lord's help and so that you can be mindful of what you're walking into, so that you can walk in eyes wide open and so those temptations don't uh, sneak up on you in ways that they might otherwise. Number three, proactively ask others to pray. Proactively ask others to pray. Number four, if you can, call somebody in the moment. Or maybe text somebody, but a call would be even better. If you're lonely and you're feeling tempted to sin, call somebody and talk about it. Step into the light with that temptation. Bad things are much, much less likely to happen if it's in broad daylight, right? So step into the light. Call somebody. Number five, be well-rested. There is no doubt that physical fatigue can impact our spiritual vitality. And it will impact our ability to resist. And so discipline yourself to get enough sleep. How's that for a, an action step? It doesn't sound too bad, right? Get more sleep. Uh, I'm calling you to discipline yourself to sleep more. We need to have our sleep. Um, that list could go on and on. Uh, uh, lots of strategies that, that, when in a room like this, you all probably have great ideas, so I'd leave it to you. And actually, I think this would be a good exercise in your, in your life groups, your DNA groups. Um, ask each other what your triggers are. What are your triggers? What is it about those times when you are hungry or angry or lonely and tired that sort of most easily triggers temptation. What is it about those circumstances? And how can you help one another avoid those circumstances? Or how can you help one another if you are in those circumstances? Talk to one another about that. By the way, I didn't make up that Holt uh, acronym. That came from a guy named Tim Chester. Uh, came from a book named um, You Can Change. Uh, you Can Change by Tim Chester. I would very much recommend it. Very much recommend it. So that was the second bullet point then. Halt, all right? Know that we are most often susceptible to give into temptation when we are hungry or angry or lonely or tired or all of the above. Third bullet point here, final bullet point here, last bullet point I'll mention, call it Jesus. Not a bad name for a bullet point. Jesus. So, related to those moments when you might be weak, related to those moments when we are confronted with various forms of temptation, various kinds of sin, we don't always win that fight, do we? We don't always win that fight. Now, we don't have to fail. We don't have to lose that fight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 First Corinthians 10:13 says that God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God will not let you or me be tempted beyond our ability. This is one of the comforts of the gospel. This is, this is a, a promise of the gospel that is a comfort to us. It's the promise that we have been given the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to fail it's not a foregone conclusion that we must fail before temptation. And I would say that it is a lie to say that just in any given temptation, it's, it's beyond our ability. We can't say that because we have the Holy Spirit, and God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. But we live in the real world here And by experience, we just know, even though it doesn't have to happen, we just know that it often does happen. We do often fail. And given our sinful nature, it's extremely likely we will continue to fail. You have failed. You will fail. I have failed. I most certainly will fail. And when we face that difficult situation of temptation, when we face that, Let's not miss a major point of this whole section here in, uh, with Jesus in the, gar- in, the, in the wilderness here being tempted. Okay, remember, Jesus won. Jesus won this battle. Jesus did not fail. Jesus did not give in to the de- devil. Jesus held firm. Jesus was not swayed from his mission to ultimately go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, and so when you are thinking about battling your temptation uh, to sin or battling the devil as he moves to to uh, uh, tempt your sinful nature, don't come across uh, uh, this scene here in Matthew four and think, "Oh, great! Look, Jesus was tempted, and and Jesus he he won that fight there." And so, look, I I can find some great tips here on how to resist temptation myself. Okay, don't think like that. That's not the main point of the scene here. This account is not in the Bible to give us sort of tips and tricks to resist temptation. Now, there are are some helps in this passage, I think, to help us with that. It's just not really why it's in the Bible. It's not why this account is here. This account is in the Bible here to show us that Jesus passed the test. I, and I alluded to this a little bit last week. That Jesus won, that Jesus resisted. It's to show us part of sort of the overall demonstration in the New Testament of Jesus' sinless perfection. And so it's meant to give us hope. It's meant to give us motivation. Not just tips and tricks on how to resist. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope that while you and I will fail to resist temptation, and while you and I will sin, sometimes sin in some horrific ways, Jesus never did. Jesus was hungry, he was tired, he was alone. At times in the New Testament, we see that Jesus was angry, and here in Matthew 4, and at every other point uh, that we see Jesus tempted, Jesus never fell in those moments into sin. And he did that for you. He did that for me. Jesus resisted for you and for me. For anyone who will trust him, for that. Um, and we need that uh, because we let hunger get the best of us. We let anger get the best of us. Loneliness, fatigue—we get—we the, let these things get the best for us, the best of us. Sometimes we. It might feel like we've fallen into sin. Other times, we happily just jump right into sin ourselves. More than happy to jump in and give ourselves to sin. But Jesus never did. And so if we will trust that that he was killed in our place on the cross to bear the penalty of our sin, then we are freed from that penalty. We are freed from guilt. We are free from judgment. And we are given the perfect righteousness of Jesus himself. We get credited with Jesus' perfect resistance. His perfect defeat of Satan here. We get credited with that. That's ours. That's a win in our column. That's a win for us. Jesus fought that battle for us. And he won. And a major reason why this, this scene is even in the Bible, this scene again with Jesus in the wilderness, it's to give us hope. And then, in turn, to motivate us to f- just follow, because of that hope, to follow Jesus ever more closely, uh, ever more tightly in light of that truth, knowing that Jesus already won that battle for us. So we, we, we hold ever tighter to Jesus for ever more strength to keep up that fight ourselves. So that's the, the final bullet point there, just simply Jesus. Don't, don't misunderstand the significance of this scene uh, it's not meant mainly to be an example of Jesus for you to follow, um, not, not main, mainly something that you can follow so that you can be perfect in resisting sin, but it's meant to show us that Jesus is perfect in resisting sin, and all of that for us. It's a display of Jesus' perfection. It's a display of Jesus' worth. It's to show, in part, that Jesus is the only one worthy to be the sacrifice for our sins that we need. And so there it is. Just... Some some bullet point thoughts. There, additional thoughts. Um, just jumping off of Matthew four four. So again, uh, just to close, um, remember the bullet points. Consider fasting with prayer. Um, I, it can help you to remember to pray and help you to pray more regularly. It can uh, and and that's a good thing. We're called to pray constantly, and it will help. Also halt. Remember that we are the most susceptible to sin probably when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired. But man, remember too that even if you do fail in those moments, Jesus never did. He succeeded for you. He never failed, and that never failing record is for you if you will trust him for it. If you don't trust him for it, then it's not yours and you've failed. You failed. You are a failure. But if we trust Jesus and we get his record of not failing, then one of the comforts of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, is that we are not failures then, not in God's eyes. So there it is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance that we've had to uh, uh, spin around a little bit more in Matthew 4. So much more could be said, of course, but I'm thankful for what's been said and I just pray that you would give us soft hearts to make it sink deep and to help us in the ways that you know we need to be helped. Some of us need to be admonished because we're idle. Some of us need to be encouraged because we're faint-hearted. Some of us need to be helped because we're weak. And in all, all of us need patience. We all need your patience. And so I pray however we need, whatever we need this morning, I pray that you'd give it to us through, through not only this message but through everything we've been a part of here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.